Today is Palm Sunday, if you weren't aware, right? We call it Palm Sunday. It's the beginning of, as the world calls it, Holy Week. And uh, the, the, the description of the last week of Jesus on earth, you actually find it in all four Gospels. And we learn a lot about it. And so I want to talk briefly about that of what Palm Sunday is, the triumphal entry. And I want you to go with me to the book of Matthew, chapter number 21. The book of Matthew, chapter number 21. By the way, Emmanuel is so stinking cute. What's up, buddy? He's what, three months old now? Four? Three months old. He's adorable. Matthew, chapter 21, verse number one says this. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the fowl of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches, branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the holy city was stirred up saying, who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Triumphal entry. Jesus walks in, and we learn a lot of different things and see a lot of different things in this short passage. And again, you recount it in all four Gospels. And one of the things that we see is this. We see the fulfillment of messianic prophecy. The fulfillment of messianic prophecy. Now, if that word sounds a little too churchy for you, what does messianic prophecy mean? Well, throughout all of Scripture, there was a promise of the Messiah or the one that would come to deliver the children of Israel. Jesus is that Messiah. And throughout all of scripture, we see prophetic words of what was going to happen that would show who would be this Messiah. This is why John the Baptist, when he is out preaching the gospel and saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And they're asking him, he says, I'm not the one. There's one coming after me. John was very clear in saying, I'm not the Messiah, but Jesus fulfilled every single one of these prophecies. And the first one that the triumphal entry fulfills is found in Zechariah chapter nine, verse nine. There's a book in the Bible right at the old, end of the Old Testament called Zechariah. And, that, and it reads that verse in Zechariah nine, nine, it literally says, say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you humble and mounted on a donkey on a colt the fowl of a beast of burden. And it signified a lot because he was coming in to ushering the kingdom, but he was ushering the kingdom of God, although the Jews believed that the Messiah would usher in a physical kingdom. See, that's where there's this disconnect. They thought the Messiah would bring a physical earthly reign at the moment. 
and they believe it's Jesus. I mean, he had just raised Lazarus from the dead. He's healing people left and right. I mean, we know the people that were healed by just touching the bottom of his garment. Everywhere he goes, he just sends a word. People are getting healed. People are getting delivered. People are getting set free. And they recognize this has to be the guy. And he comes in on this donkey, a picture of humility, right? Because a king would come in on a chariot or on a big old white horse. I don't know if it would have been white, but, you know, the movies portray them coming on a white horse. And that's how a king would come in. But the people recognized his kingdom. The only issue is that they thought it was going to be an earthly kingdom, which is why they're actually acknowledging him as Messiah. So first thing we see is the fulfillment of prophecy. But then we're also seeing them acknowledging him publicly as the Messiah. They are saying this is the one. How are they doing that? Well, by cutting down palm fronds and putting them on the floor. By taking their cloaks off and putting them on the floor. Laying out, if you would, the red carpet for this king that was coming in. As a matter of fact, in the Old Testament, you see when Jehu was, went and killed Jezebel and Jehu comes back, he is honored in the same way. They lay everything on the floor, they lay things on the floor because the king is being brought in, right? You remember coming to America, the people coming out, putting the rose petals, right? Like the king is coming in. And so they put this all down. So one thing that we see is the fulfillment of the messianic prophecy. Another thing that we see is that Jesus is being publicly recognized as the Messiah. And this is the next thing we see. We see the people crying out for salvation. Now, the word Hosanna, how many of you heard the word Hosanna before? Where we, we've sung the word Hosanna. We've sung songs that say Hosanna, Hosanna. Like there's songs about Hosanna. I'm not gonna, don't ask me to sing because I can't sing. I worship, but I can't sing. Hosanna for us is a word of praise. But the definition of Hosanna and what they were saying was this, save us now. As they were crying out Hosanna, what they were saying was, you're the king, save us from Rome. Their expectation of the Messiah was that when he was going to come in with bows and arrows and swords and whip the Romans and establish an earthly kingdom. This is why a few days later, the same people chant crucify him because he didn't meet their expectation. So we see him recognized as Messiah. We see him worshiped. But there's something that stands out a lot to me in this whole passage of Palm Sunday, and it's the donkey. I like the story of the donkey. That's what's been hitting me throughout this week. And watch, I want you to go to the book of Luke for a moment, because we're going to talk about the donkey, and it gives a little description in Luke 19. Again, this passage is a story found in all four Gospels. In Luke 19, it says, verse 28, and when he had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples. Time out here for a second. I don't know who this is for this morning, but there's a lot of us that try to do life alone. And every single time that Jesus sent disciples, he sent them in groups of two. 
And I think that's an important thing for us to understand. And, and it stirred on me when I read it the first time, and I just felt I, the Lord say it again. So I got to pause and get there for a second. You and I are not meant to do life alone. You and I need other brothers and sisters in Christ that we can sharpen each other with. Right? You can't sharpen a knife without another one. We need each other. So Jesus, going back to chime in, says to them in verse 30, Luke chapter 19, go into the village in front of you where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, why are you stealing my donkey, right? Why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus. That's the title of today's sermon. The Lord has need of it. The Lord has need of it. And I actually want to start us off with this question. What do we have that the Lord has need of? What is it that you and I have that we tied it somewhere, that we're waiting for a special occasion, for an invitation that the Lord has need of? Can I tell you something this morning? God wants to use us. Let me say it this way. God wants to use you. Can you say that this morning? God wants to use me. Come on, one more time. If you're online, type it in the comment box. God wants to use me. Many times we don't comprehend and understand and we see things and we're like, well, God sent somebody. Yeah, he sent you and me. God sent somebody to help that person. God send this. God do that. What if the owner of the donkey, when the disciples say, the Lord has need of it, said, hold on, but that one's my special one. Take this other one instead. No, 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 not this one. Go use the other one. Church, we need to understand something. We are the only Jesus some people encounter. We're the only Bible some people read. We're the ones that can reach did you know there's people that you are uniquely gifted and called to reach that I can't? And here's the problem. Throughout all of Christianity, especially in the last couple of decades, we equate evangelism and fulfilling the Great Commission by inviting people to church and let the pastor do the teaching. And that's great. Invite them and come. But you know God wants to use you. At the grocery store, at your workplace, in your neighborhood, at your school, God wants to use you. And not only is it that God wants to use us, is this, he wants to use what he has blessed us with. God wants to use what he has blessed us with. Abraham, we talked about it at the beginning of the year, was told by God, through you, all the nations of the world will be blessed. He was told by God, I will bless you and you will be a blessing. But many times you and I eat the blessing of God instead of holding it with an open hand to be a blessing to others. I don't know if you know this. Coconuts are actually a seed. Yeah. 
Did you know that? See, my house, I, I live on a lake. Many of you have been to my house. If you haven't, I'm sure there'll be another event where you'll be at the house. Fourth of July picnics right around the corner. Men's and women's breakfast this Saturday. Sign up. Come on over. <laughs> I got seven palm trees in my backyard, and they're all in different stages of life. I've got three of them that are taller than me at the moment. Like, like with the palm fronds, they're bigger than me. But they weren't that big. Three years ago when we planted them, it was a coconut. Here's a funny story. One of them is the grandchild of a coconut that, my parent, my, my, that we mailed ourselves when we went to Hawaii when I was five years old. We mailed ourselves a coconut. And my dad prepared it and then planted it. And it became a big tree in his backyard. It's still there to this day, 37 years later. And now one of those coconuts is growing in my backyard. And so we were there at one of these things, and I'm talking to the guys because I have different phases. I have other ones that are, that are still very little, and, and they're starting to grow. And, and they all coconuts that I, other than the one from Hawaii, all the other ones are coconuts that I got from the lake that I saw sprouting and swimming along. And I went out there and grabbed it, and I dug a hole, and I put it in. And now it is beginning to grow. And this is what happens. Sometimes we're so used to just getting the coconut and eating it and not realizing it's meant to give another coconut tree. And so what is it that God has blessed us with that we still have tied in front of our house, if you would? What is it that God has blessed us with? What gifting, what, what, what ability, what, what, what has he done that he wants to use that we're just hoarding it for ourselves? And that's why I asked the question, what is it that God wants to use in us? He wants to use us, and he wants to use what he's blessed us with, your talents, your giftings. He wants to use it. And I wrote this down. God can use even what seems insignificant. God is an expert at using at what seems to be insignificant. I want you to think about it for a second. Do you remember a young boy who heard a giant defy Israel and he said, what's up with all these weak men not going to battle? It's not a new thing. They were all afraid. And David said, I'll go fight him. The shepherd boy. What about when Jeremiah says to God, who am I but a child? How are you going to use me? What about Mary who was a teenager when the Holy Spirit tells her, I'm going to Put a baby inside of you and you shall call his name Jesus. What about the little boy who had his lunch with a couple of pieces of bread and a couple of pieces of fish, but in the hands of Jesus, it fed multitudes. God can use what seems insignificant. It only seems insignificant to us. And can I tell you, while you keep it in your hand, it will always stay insignificant. But when you release it to him, it becomes the donkey that brought in the Messiah. So yeah, we all have a past. We all mess up. And those things in the natural disqualify us. But we have a God that's in the restoration business. And he takes what was broken and he makes it new. You know, have you ever gotten to a car accident and they called it a total loss? And they scrapped the title. But did you know that there's places that sell cars that are total losses? For somebody to get it and rebuild it and get a new title for that car and what was de destroyed, what had no value, becomes valuable once again. 
You and I are like that car that was wrecked, but in the hands of the master, we're made new again. What do we have? What has God put in us that he wants to use for his honor and glory? Whether you're young and whether you're old. Or just have a few years of experience. If I ever tell you happy birthday, I always say happy 21st birthday. I said it to Mickey this week. She was like, no, I'm 27. Okay, I get it. All right. What is it that he wants to use? What is it that he has blessed us with? What is it that seems insignificant? But let me tell you this. In order for us to grab what's insignificant and let God turn it into something powerful, we need faith. 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 Foy. Geoloof. Did I say it right? How, how do you say it? Geoloof. I'm not going to, I'm going to butcher it. We need faith. And the first thing is this. We need faith at his word. Watch, we see three instances of faith at his word in this passage. The first one is, Jesus tells the two disciples, go into the city in front of you and you're going to find a colt tied there. Grab it. And if they ask something, tell them I need it. And what did the disciples do? They started walking. And then they got there. And they found the colt. And I'm sure... That one of them looked at the other was like, you untie it. No, you untie it. No, you untie it. But what did they say something? But you untie it. You know, like, like, I don't want to get in trouble. You do it. You ever done that to somebody else? You untie it. No. All right. After they got through their squabble, you got to have imagination, okay? It's okay. They started untying it at the word of what Jesus had said. Then the owner comes out. Now, I don't know how the owner came out, but the owner comes out. And says, what you doing? Right? Like, what's the deal? Like my canoe. A couple of months ago, you remember the story about my canoe? So if you, if you don't know, I, I, my canoe f- flipped over and went away on the lake. And I, I was like, all right, well, I get home to look for it. And when I got home, there, there was a note from a guy, from a neighbor. It says, your canoe, I saw it. This, that, the other. When I got home, I started going and looking for my canoe. And guess what? Another neighbor had seen it in the corner and pulled it to their house. So I'm looking for the canoe on my lake, on my paddleboard, and I see this guy with it in his backyard. So I was like, yo, you found my canoe. <laughs> He's like, oh, it's yours? I was like, yeah, you want me to show you pictures? I mean, I, 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 got, I can show you, it's fine, you know? He's like, oh, I found it in the corner. I was like, all right, cool, thanks. And I took it back to my house. So I don't know what the guy said. He might have come out and said, why are you touching my donkey? That's my special donkey. I got him saved for a special occasion. Like my daughter's getting married, and that's the donkey she's going to ride on. I don't know what's coming out. But I know that the disciples looked at him and said this, the word of Jesus, the Lord has need of it. And instantly, the owner of the donkey said, okay, take it. He had faith at the word of Jesus that was relayed to him. Guys, we need faith at his word. If Jesus says to do it, we can do it. If Jesus says go, we go. We need to have faith at his word. Like when Peter 
is there toiling all night long, catches nothing. And Jesus says, let out to the deep and cast the net. And, Je- and Peter says, Master, all night long I've been doing that and caught squat diddly. But at your word, I will lay down the net. You know, that's not the only time Jesus does that. After Jesus resurrects from the dead and he finds them all fishing in a corner, Peter was still all down on himself because he had denied Jesus three times. And he's out there. He returned to being a fisherman, a fisher of fish instead of a fisherman, how Jesus had said. And he's out there fishing. And all of a sudden, Jesus comes up and says, what would you all catch up there? And they say nothing. He says, lay down the net. And they lay down the net and they catch all these fish. And immediately it says they know it's Jesus at his word. And here's the next thing. We need faith to untie. We need faith to untie. What are we holding on to? What are we still have tied? Again, what talent, what gift, what resource, what ability, what is it that God uniquely gifted you that you have said it's insignificant, it can't be used, or I'm going to hold it for a special occasion? We need to have faith to untie it. Disciples needed faith to get when they found the donkey and start untying the knot. The owner of the donkey needed faith at the word and to say to the guy, yes, go ahead, take it. You and I need faith. Faith to take the step. This is the third thing. We need faith to let God use us. We need faith to let God use us. Sometimes we chicken out. We're sitting at the grocery store. We see something, and you feel this heart palpitation thing, and for a minute, you're like, oh, my God, am I having a heart attack or something? And it's because the Lord is telling you, go speak to somebody, and you see that person there. You you see that single mom that that is counting things and doesn't know how they're going to afford it, but you know that you can pay for it without a problem, or you see the thing, and and you see the stuff, and you're trying to talk yourself out of it, and, and you're going there, and you're like, what do I do? You need faith to say, God, if you put it in my heart, I'm stepping. What's the worst that can happen? The person tells you no. And if they say no, it's on them. You did your part. But we can't be afraid to share the gospel. I need us to understand something this morning. You and I are the vehicle of communication of what Jesus did on the cross. God's plan through Jesus of spreading the greatest message ever told was to send out a group of disciples to teach it to other ones and to other ones and to other ones. And 2,000 years later, we're still sharing the same message. Let's not let it stop with you and me. Let's not let it stop. Let's not allow the fear of what's going to happen, the fear of looking bad, the fear of they're going to think I'm this or they're going to think I'm a that. Don't allow that fear to stop you. What is it that God has gifted you with? What is he calling you to do? And are we saying yes and going? Are we going and fulfilling what he said? Are we having the faith to untie? Are we having the faith to let God use us? And I ask this question again. What do we have that the Lord has need of? See, I want us to understand something. To begin with, it's not yours. It's his. As a matter of fact, 
when you read in the book of Deuteronomy, when God is talking to the people of Israel through Moses, and Moses is recounting all that they're going to do, and they're about to enter the promised land, there's multiple verses where God says to the children of Israel through Moses, when you get in there and you conquer, when you get wealthy and you do well, when you do all of this, do not forget it wasn't your ability, but that I put it in you. And man, so many times we do that. Alexa talked about it last week. Sometimes we, we, she, she, well, she had heard somebody say that we go ahead and we pray for something. God gives it to us. And once we have it, we forget that he gave it to us. Can I tell you something? God didn't bless you for you just to have the nicer things. He blessed you to be a blessing to others. Understand something. Nothing wrong with having a nice house. Nothing wrong with having a nice car. Nothing wrong with having retirement account. There's nothing wrong with all of that. But if your trust is in that and not in God, there's a problem. God blesses us with something. And then he says, let me use it for more. And some of us, oh, I feel this so hard right now. Some of us are breaking our pieces of bread into minute little pieces because we're afraid to release it into the hand of God. It's time to have faith to untie. Faith to let go. Faith to say, God, it's yours. It was never mine to begin with. Worship team, as you come to the altar, as you and I, watch this, allow Jesus to walk in and we take the cloak of our life, who we are, what it represents, and we say, Jesus, be the king of it. Jesus, be exalted. It may not look how I thought it was going to look. It may not sound how I thought it was going to sound like, but Jesus, I give you my whole life. When we do that, he takes little old insignificant me and uses me more than I ever thought I could. And that very same way, Regardless of your age. Now, let me, let me talk to those of you that are older than 21 for a minute. There's a psalm that says that a tree gives fruit until its ripe old age. As long as that coconut tree is planted, it's going to produce coconuts. And no matter if you are five, 10, 20, 70, 80 years old, if there's breath in your lungs, God can and wants to use you. Don't compare yourself to the other guy. That's part of the problem we do. It's part of the, of the enemy's trap at making us think insignificant because we see somebody else that has a different talent. And we say, well, what good is mine if they can do that one? Well, last time I checked, there's billions of people on the planet 
and about half of them don't know Jesus. And you're equipped. No, you're called to tell those people, hey, Jesus is the way. We don't mix religion and politics and this and that or the other. I hate religion. I am anti-religion. I am not religious. See, religion is a set of rules and practices and doing the same thing over and over again. What are we about? What is Christianity truly about? It's about relationship. Let's go back. Thank you, Lord. You, you connected full circle. See, the veil that was torn, that veil had a separation that only allowed the priests to go in there, the high priest. In the old covenant, the presence or the Lord would only speak through the prophet, the priest, or the king. The only people that could be anointed. But now you and I, all of us, we can be and God desires to use us. So last question, one more time. What do you and I have that God says, I'm in need of that? And will we untie it? Come on, let's stand to our feet.